See, I think I forgot. I forgot to play that song you sent me. <laughs> Are we recording now? I, yes, I just... I you just can't remembered. be for there is no true love. It's a great song. So what I was going to do was... I was going to be funny and just play Seven Nation Army. Oh, you, I would have laughed. <laughs> hey, Alex, is this the song you said? <laughs> I would have laughed. I would have said, great job. And then I would have said, as a, as a hardcore White Stripes fan, fuck you. Because <laughs> they are um, more than the Nation Army. And I'm, and I'm, stained, I'm, sta- I'm dying on that mountain. Yeah. Um, funny enough, the, uh, the wedding that I'm goofing off uh, at, um, the, gr- the groom's favorite song is Seven Nation Army. I, whether or not I know that he knows more about um, White Stripes, I don't know. I don't know either, and I'm not going to knock him for that being his favorite. It's a good song, but like, as long as he knows that they have other good songs, then I'm cool with that. Like, it's like me, it's like me with Linkin Park. <laughs> I mean, fell in love with a girl, man. That's the yeah. thing that made him big. Uh, welcome to the Mushroom Movie Podcast, everybody. Um, no Zach tonight, because uh, work is about to kill him. Literally, guillotine. Um, it's draining him. Yes. yes. The computer game company really puts the stress on its employees with its guillotine. Um, so a lot of stuff happened. Um, well, I'm not going to be able to do this justice. So um, I'm just going to give it. I'm just going to give it a try. Um, so this is what Zach sent us. <laughs> and this shows you what Zach cares about. Some of this shows you. <laughs> Um, certainly his, like, we all come to the table with news and we all have like the things that we think are newsworthy, but he, he did collect the news this week, which we do appreciate, but it also is a window into the soul of what he thinks news is. Um, so I do have to correct some of this. So according to Zach, Tenet and the Avatar sequel are delayed indefinitely. Tenet does have a new release date for America, September 3rd, but internationally it's a week before so pirates galore um then quiet place two and top gun maverick delayed until 2021 blah 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 blah. they have the right idea yeah and then he next headline he said sonic the hedgehog 2 releases april 2022 um cool can't wait to see tales in an actual meaningful role um what Jim the heck? What what no, the heck? Dad. No, Dad, I did not pick up Mom's cell phone. Um, so Legend of Korra is on Netflix. Mm. Wait, is it like right now on Netflix, or is it coming to Netflix? I need no, to it's, investigate. It's on right now, I believe. This is why this is why you cite your sources, kids. Um, yeah, you can finally give it another shot. Uh, it's not on there yet, so I'm guessing yeah, it's coming. God, Zach! Ah! <laughs> That's me. Um, sorry. We know Zach that, ah. did that. I guess that, not that. <laughs> um, but you still watch the first Avatar, the superior Avatar. Um, because it's got a dude in it. Sure. No. Um. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim, 
Then next uh, headline, <laughs> Scott Pilgrim vs. The World gets a 10th anniversary table read for the entire cast for charity. Um, it's awesome. I listened to a little bit of it, like the beginning parts of it, and it's they're they're all seeming to have a having a good time. They're missing uh, Brie Larson. That's right. And I forgot I forgot who else they were missing. Um, either way, Chris Evans is there. Yeah, and he rocked the Rockley get up. Did he? Yes. Yeah. I love how actors are really getting it. Like, that's the thing. Like, a lot of these actors need to work, not just for money, but just because they like to perform. So to see them actually just go nuts and Skype and Zoom and stuff is so... I love the fact that, like, I've been watching YouTube stuff for so long now that I have, don't care about production value when it comes to that level. Now watching, like, everyone do that now is so funny. Like, late night shows are basically YouTube now. I love it. Um... They also got the co-writer of the script, I forget his name, and then the guy who created Scott Pilgrim to help do the uh, the narration scenes. Nice. Um, um, let's see. Uh, hey, cameo from Dad. Yes, Dad? No, Dad, I don't have Mom's phone. No, do I do you not. Have do you have mom's phone? I don't. You have mom's uh, phone. Help me. Yeah. Alex, do check it out. It's it's awesome. Um have been putting it up. Okay, so this is the main one, Alex. Do you think is big? Donald Glover is reprising his role as Lando Calrissian in his own Disney Plus series. That's sure. Wait, was that confirmed? Yes. You don't think that's big? I do okay. He was probably okay. No, no, no. He is the best thing to come out of Solo, I think. 100%. Uh, he's, I mean, there are people in that movie doing good work, but out of like right. sheer enjoyment of that movie, yes, he is a great Lando. And for him to get his own show is great. Yeah, I'm behind it. I hope he gets, I hope he gets his, um, um, I hope he gets his own like control, like his own like creative control, you know? Like he has, like he has, um, his own. Say, uh, he does it his own way. Have you ever seen Atlanta? Atlanta, I've heard good things, but no. It is, it is very good. It's also weird as fuck. So I mean, I don't want him to take complete control of that show, but I do. I want him to feel like he has a voice in it. And I know I the great thing about Donald Glover is he understands like what a property is and what genre is, and to see him make Atlanta and then go off and do um, Lando is pretty amazing. Like the differences between them are great, um, but I don't I don't know if his aesthetic would necessarily work for a show. Whereas like I just want to see him perform, like. I just want him to see him be an actor. I want him to have a say, sure, in what the character is and everything, but, like, if the guy who, who directed Atlanta and who directs Atlanta, like, his directing partner, and the guy who made, like, This is America, if he starts making episodes, uh, they're going to be weird as balls. And I'd love that, but I don't know if that would be necessarily for everybody. And I'd hate to have him at resentment towards Disney as he's trying to get this product out. Um... I love Donald Glover. I love, I, but he's he 
he's done so many things. Like stand up Donald Glover is different than rapper Donald Glover, and rapper Donald Glover is totally different than the guy who wrote for Thirty Rock, and the guy who starred in Community, and the guy who was on Mystery Team, and the guy who was you know making YouTube videos years ago. So Atlanta to Lando, all of them are different. It's it's almost schizophrenic. It's crazy, and. I think as a performer, yes, I think he'll nail Lando and he could nail whatever type of show that needs to be. Um, I think he could write one, yes, but and maybe direct one, but not necessarily have the same people behind Atlanta do it. So I'm not okay. So I did hear about this next one, though I don't. I just heard it was like a like something that he. Something that the director said was possible because he had ideas. Um, New Mutants will be a trilogy and end with an adaptation of Inferno. I don't think that, I don't think that's true. I think he's uh, the director said he has an idea for a trilogy, and whether I don't know about that uh, adaptation of Inferno. So, grain of salt, everyone. Let's just get let's just get this first one out, right? Can I we think all agree on that. Thing. Kind of what he's saying, which is like, if this new, I, maybe he's talking about backdoor deals that are happening with Disney, where they're like, hey, if New Mutants does work, maybe we'll let you keep going with whatever people like about it and make the movies you wanted to make. And he's just saying that out loud. But it, it, again, yeah, you're right. It's all based off the idea that uh, this one does well, that it makes any money, that people like it at all. And then it's been years. So. The actors are older. Some of them aren't acting as much. Like, I don't know if they're contractually obligated to come back for another one. I don't know what their deal is. So, I, I, if he's, he's apparently sounds hopeful, very hopeful that this could happen. And the first three minutes of New Mutants did come out and people do like it. So, who knows? But I think, I think he's ambitious, very ambitious, hopeful and ambitious is what he sounds like. Um, let's just get the first movie out. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. It's been years. Um, people died. Such a cynic. A lot of people died. By a lot, I mean three. Um. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, yes. yes so, so, eyes. Olivia de Hayland. Holland? Olivia de Havilland. Havilland. Okay, he spelled it wrong, didn't he? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Olivia de Havilland. Um, she was in Gone with the Wind. Um, she had a very interesting career. The studio system was... Um, it, it, it crushed actors. And um, if you getting out of a contract was super hard, especially when the studio screwed people. She had a long legal battle with them and um, produced something that helped all actors. I don't remember what it was. But... Um, she won two Oscars, and she would live to 104. She was the lo- she was the last remaining cast member of Gone with the Wind left, but she was also um, really nice, really sweet. She was really funny interview. Um, yeah, she was. Um, I-, I can't remember the name of the the most famous film she won an Oscar for. I think it was like The Countess or something like that. But I made a list that I'm going to go to, and I'm pretty sure TCM is going to come up with this day soon, where they're going to dedicate a lot to her work, and I'm going to try and swallow a bunch of it. Because I really only know um, 
Gone with the Wind, and I believe she did a, another one too, but I just don't even remember the name, but I know I've seen it. Uh, longest living actor of her generation, along with Kurt Douglas dying this year too. They were both like legends that were still hanging on. Okay, rest in peace. Uh, next, John Saxon. Yes, John Saxon. Um, he was Freddy. No. no. He was not Freddy Krueger. He was the dad of the daughter um, that was getting attacked by Freddy. I have been lied to. Who told you it was Freddy? That's some... Probably the same sources that oh, told... No. Probably the same sources that told Zack that New Mutants was going to be a trilogy. Anyway. No. Robert, Eng- Robert England is famously Freddy. He is still alive and kicking and making horror stuff to this day. That's nice. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> Sweet guy. Um, uh, that John Saxon, um, he was also um, in a few canon films. He was a, he was a B actor. Um, and he had, a good, he had a good career. He was in a lot of crazy um, horror and action films. Um, but most famously, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. Sadly, and then the last one that Zach hilariously botched. Regis Philbin. Yeah. Um, um, who wants to be a millionaire host? Um, holds the world record for most hours of, on television. Yeah. Because, the because yeah, the, um, Regis and Kathy Lee was a long morning show. I think it was like three hours long, three, four hours long. Good Lord. Would, and then he would do it every day. Is that like the... Was that like the Today Show before the Today Show? Or like before like daytime television really took off? No. Um, daytime television uh, had been around uh, before then. David Letterman came from daytime before he went to late night. Um, the Morning Show, the Today Show, and Regis and Kathy Lee. Uh, Regis and Kathy Lee, I think, was on NBC and so is the Today Show. So I think that they were after the Today Show. Or before it, I never watched, but the, it's hard to say. I know ABC had The View for a long time, but I don't remember when that show started. And um, I think I think they had Good Morning America on ABC too. Either way, um... he was a fun guy. In fact, he loved wrestlers a lot. There's a lot of pictures of him just like hanging right. out with wrestlers, and he gave a lot of wrestlers shots too. The clip that's being shared around in his memory was the infam was like the famous um the guy winning the million dollars then he used a lifeline to call his dad that he was going to win the million dollars yeah that is a great moment oh that's good rest in peace to all three of you pour one out there's water all over my pants on the floor um okay and then a witcher spinoff is coming to netflix Mm-hmm. It's a pre- it's a no. Um I I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's a spin-off so much as it's considered a prequel to that series. I don't know if it's a second season that's just set twelve hundred years before the events of the first one, but I it, the the production is considered a season two, I guess. Cool. I Witcher. I so I I've gotta watch that. Cool. Um and I'm not. I don't think this one's true, Zach. I'm sorry, Zach. He said Zach Snyder isn't getting paid for the Snyder Cut. I looked it up, man. Zach Snyder says, "Yeah, he says I'm doing it for free." Because I am. 
Like he's, he talks about, I would do it for free and I am. So he said that and he also hasn't, you know, changed it since he said it. So that so is this, so you mentioned this before we had talked, before we had started recording, like, but I want to get it. So you think he's doing this out of spite or closure? No, I think it's a lot of things, but I think the fuel to the fire here is spite, especially because I think I think there is a part of him because you have to look at it from what happened. There's every there's everything that happened before Justice League got made. There's all the there's the critical reception. There's the fan reception. And then his daughter dies and the studio takes it away from him to give it to Josh Whedon. He has since said, I I, if there is one frame of Josh Whedon's movie in my film that i'm about to put out i would blow it up i i would get i would burn it he doesn't like joss whedon he doesn't uh like his version of the movie and he's even stood by what ray parker said and all of this has a has like a spirit of like i they took this thing away and now i get to make it and i get to make it my way and people are excited about it and they gave me 30 million dollars you know fuck you Joss Whedon and fuck you Warner Brothers like I think there's a part of him that's kind of like I'm doing this because people wanted it see like it's coming out it's gonna happen people liked it it would be like uh, some of the things that like Zach and I were talking about was artists who weren't appreciated in their time and got screwed over and it's sort of like he feels like he was underappreciated for his films and then got absolutely um confirmed what his thoughts were about himself immediately by these fans and then giving him $30 million. But it's a good idea to put this out because it's stuff that's already been shot and it only needs post-production to make it look good. So they're giving the money for this thing to look good, but nobody goes out and gets sick and it's, it's just free material they get to use. A streaming service using that is a very smart idea. I'm for it. And the guy gets to do his vision. Sure. But there's also this sense about it. If he's doing it for free, like it tells me he's passionate about it, but how, like, where's that passion coming from? Is it because he always wanted to make this version and he didn't get to do it? He's a filmmaker. Makes sense. But at the same time, I don't know. Like there are filmmakers that say that when the version is out, they never, they never want to see it or they're they, it, no, like, I'm going to get into Orson Welles tonight. And this story happens a lot with him where basically they take his product out of his hands and they completely recut it and edit it without his note. Like, it happened a lot with Orson. So what it happened here with Zach, and then he immediately gets a chance to do it again and then go to Comic-Con and tell, t- like, talk to people about it. Like, there's a sense of spite to it. And I, I don't know if that's completely fueling it, but it's a lot of things. And since I don't like his viewpoints on a lot of things, especially certain characters and, and stuff like that in his material, there's also a part of me that kind of doesn't like Zack Snyder's approach to this. Like, I'm kind of like, right. just shut up and make your movie, man. Like... I'm fine with you making it. I'm fine with seeing what it is. And I don't like your stuff, but you're getting a chance to do it. And that's fine. But like, he's really taking the time to shit on Joss Whedon. And it, and it like, whether you like Joss Whedon or not as a person, there's a certain point where you're like, okay, Zach, I get it. Like, fuck that guy. And you're getting your chance. We all get it. Now just, you know, show us a couple pictures of the black Superman suit. Which he did. Okay. And it looks fine. It was cool. But also, was that right for the character in the first place? I don't think so. 
especially not because <laughs> why well, he's just rushed it's again it's like batman vs superman is his version pretty much but it's also three different superman stories in one movie and he's still not even the lead character of that movie so i don't like his arc for superman and to him to see him like go through like two i don't i i, I don't know i just I, I i wasn't really jazzed about his vision in the first place but i do appreciate the fact that a guy gets to finish what it is if John Sweden was an asshole on set to everybody and walked around and was like, Zack Snyder's vision sucks and I'm going to fix it like openly to the people who worked with him, that's pretty shitty too. Um, especially considering the fact that the thing that really pulled him away was way more of a family drama and a, tra- a tragedy, really. So like, have a little depth about it. If, like, Josh Whedon is not coming out across from this very well. He's actually still being painted pretty terribly. But at the end of the day, there's something about Snyder that's kind of like, I was always right, and you guys are dumb. And you're going to get it, so be happy. And I, him, this... not getting, him not getting paid means he probably got some deal on the back end with HBO Max, maybe to make something down the line, or get something from profits. You get There are some profits that come from streaming, but I, I my guess is he probably made a deal with HBO Max to make other stuff. Um, yeah, it's just like, objectively whereas like i'm not it's, it's, it's actually quite it's actually quite funny to think about it's like Zack snyder's vision is like i like this vision of going for i'm gonna go forward for it even though like it's not being received very well from like critics and all that i'm gonna make i'm gonna keep making this because i got fans behind me then a tragedy happens and he has to step away and the studio takes advantage and like okay now we can finally make a good version let's bring in joss Whedon. joss Whedon's like i'm <laughs> like this Zack Snyder's version sucked. I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix it. And he had that attitude the whole time. Um, and then he makes it and it comes out and it's panned as well. Um, and then Zack Snyder comes back and now he's, now he's spewing off about like, but I was always right. My version was always better. They're douchebags. I'm doing this for free. Whereas neither version is objectively very good. <laughs> it's so funny. To, that's so funny to think about and observe now. I like how you brought this to the table. It's so funny. I agree. I I don't... At the end of the day, there are things that I'll probably like more about Snyder's than I will um, Joss's. But uh, uh, Whedon's has that a very good Superman. It has this, the thing that I always wanted from Superman. And those last few minutes when the Justice League are together, it feels like the weight of the history of those characters brought to this movie works for just a little bit. And Snyder never, ever got that about Superman. And it just, it's not an easy character to get, I agree, but at the same time, like, he was way the fuck off. And I don't, that, like, he's just never been interesting to me, but his Batman's great. So Um. if he can somehow get that moment if there's any sort of moment like that at the end of this movie, if if like it's a, a fun Superman wearing that blue and red suit and not just like a dark suited Superman who's like a little bit more dour these days because he died, like cares, I don't care. Uh, and he's such a big heart of what the series was supposed to be. He was the first one, you know. I, I just wish he'd have made a Batman movie. Right. I just wish Zack Snyder made a Batman movie and just gotten done he with did. it. He did, it's called Watchmen. 
It's a terrible Batman movie. Um, well, do you remember that? Did you remember that time Batman was a giant blue alien who showed his dong to everybody? Don't you remember when Batman had sex with that chick in their ship, and then they just fire shot out as a representation of ejaculation? <laughs> um, yeah. So, <laughs> I so there's a, a video circling around. I don't know if you saw this of uh, Henry Cavill building a PC. Yep, I did. I was just like, this guy is such a geek, and he's so charming, and that's the Superman that they went with. That's amazing. It's amazing the, what the human mind will do sometimes. That's the thing. Like Watching him be dorky now really proves to me that he would have been a great Clark Kent. Like a modern-day Clark Kent. Like a yeah, modern-day Clark Kent would build a PC. Modern-day Clark think. Kent would totally build a PC. I agree. 110%. Yeah. There's a lot of people in my day-to-day life that I'm like, you're a modern-day Clark Kent for sure. Like, um, maybe he's not a reporter, but maybe he works at IT at the Daily Planet or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 he's not a hard personality to get. I no, because they do it with Peter Parker all the time. I just, they, hell, they, I, well, honestly, the best version of Superman that's been around lately it was Captain America, but right. I... I, I don't think Zack Snyder believes those people exist in the world. I just don't. Like, he he killed Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> um, so, yeah. His viewpoint of the world, I don't think, has those kind of cheeky, happy... I think to him, a Boy Scout is somebody who's still brooding. And it's like, no, not him. He's supposed to... You're supposed to think, like, oh, God, this guy's too sweet. This guy's too baloney i'm watching the 1950s film over here what's going on like you're supposed to feel that way and you don't and i guess time being being displaced from history helps captain america but like ah, clark kent was like watching him build that pc and watching him talk about dungeons and dragons and just watching henry caneville just be a nerd it's like oh yeah he would have been a great nerd he would have been a great clark kent nerd so that's it for news According to Zach. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else, really. So. Let's get into our movie tonight. Okay. Um, Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Your pick. My pick. Um, before we do that, though. Mm-hmm. Alex. Yes. Who is Orson Welles? <laughs> um, it feels so good to do that. <laughs> Orson Welles. Um, very interesting story, Orson Welles. Um, so, basically, <clears throat> he was... Um, I, don't, I don't remember his birthday, but he, he was born... Uh, let's see. No, I'm not going to get the date right. But he was born... And eventually given into guardianship to a, a man named Bernstein, just like in this movie. He really genuinely liked him. Um, his mother was... May 6th, under- 1915. Thank is you. Is when he was born. Okay. Um, so he... His mother it was an amazing person. She did... She was... She did a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, she deserves a movie in and of herself. She's just like... Too much to talk about. <laughs> but she instilled a lot of great... Um, things into Orson Welles, a lot of great ideas that would totally carry on throughout his life. But he was pretty much at an early age, very early age, um, he was like a genius, 
high, very high IQ, incredibly smart, incredibly creative. He wanted to be a painter. He went to Chicago and he painted for a bit. Um, and then he went to Ireland and he painted there for a while. And then by the age of 21, he had gotten into acting and theater and he created his own theater called the Mercury Company, uh, the Mercury Theater. And they, this is at age 21. Uh, he started putting on um, shows. Uh, he put on, um, he was very fa- a very big fan of Shakespeare, and he put on Othello in a prominent black neighborhood with prominent black actors and, uh, and invited uh, black, uh, rich and powerful and well-known people to come and see this. Like, like, he made a whole show out of it, and it was amazing. It was beautiful. Um, I think it was Othello. And uh, a lot of people, it got, it got a lot of press, and then he started to do radio shows. And um, he started like getting this troop of actors together that he really trusted. And they started putting them out and became really famous. Eventually, he put out War of the Worlds. And uh, he, put, he put it out like he did, it, he did such an effective job that people legitimately thought there was an alien invasion happening. It was oh, like, I remember this. It was that guy. Uh, they, they asked him later, they're like, how did you know that it went too far? And he was like, when the cops came into the radio station with guns pointed at me. Like, he went too far. <laughs> it, it's that effective. I've listened to it. It's pretty real. And to think that to just he's pushing the boundaries, it's, he, he goes too far. <laughs> he goes too far. But it is truly effective. Um, and it is a really interesting version of War of the Worlds. Uh, he would do Treasure Island. A lot of things. Great. All the classics. Um, He became so well-known for for his work in the Mercury Theater that Hollywood eventually came knocking. And uh, this boy genius didn't care about movies, and he didn't care about Hollywood. And so he didn't care so much. He was like, I'm just going to... I'm going to ask for the most ridiculous thing you could ever ask for. They're never going to give it to me. And I'm just going to be the guy who, you know, is too good for Hollywood. Like, what are you going to do? Like, he just wanted to, he loved theater. He loved painting the sets. He loved Shakespeare. He just didn't see any merit in film on his terms yet. Because uh, he knew how Hollywood kind of worked and the studio system kind of worked. So what he asked for was to be able to write, direct, um, have full creative control over even the dailies. And have no studio interference of two films. That is unheard of, Chris. Unheard of at the time. It unheard is a, of now. It's a blank check. He basically asked for a blank check and for no one to bother him. To let him make whatever he wants with their money. And he's never done a thing, man. He's never directed anything. Never made a feature. And they gave it to him at the age of 23. This guy got a golden ticket for something he didn't really want. It's unprecedented. So this guy's sitting in his office and he's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this money. What am I going to do? So he's, I'm going to barrel through this, but like some of this is very tied to his, his career is very much tied to this film. Um, so basically I'm going to get into the production of it later. But basically, he um, studied a bunch of film, the, uh, particular movies from uh, Stagecoach he watched 40 times. He watched a lot of Jean, Ren- Jean Renoir. He um, uh, watched uh, 
Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca a lot. There's a lot of imagery that kind of you can tie between these two. You can very, very easily tell that he watched that movie. Um, he then gathered a murders, 1927 Yankees murders row of people to make this film with him. He then got all of his Mercury actors together and he made this movie. The problem that happened with this movie, the only real big problem which affected him his entire life and career, was this movie is kind of based off a little bit more than other people, William Randolph Hearst. Do you know who that guy is? Uh, rings a bell, but I, I, I know. So William Randolph Hearst, um, do you know the name Pulitzer? Pulitzer, yes. So Pulitzer and Hearst are two, two of the biggest newspaper men and moguls of the turn of the century, of the, uh, of the 20th century. Uh, they were totally at each other's heels, but they ran the news. What they thought was news, that was news. Like, he really did use his newspapers to affect the war in Cuba and effectively create the Panama Canal. Like, he legitimately started a war with newspapers. He, he was one of the richest men ever. He tried to get into politics, didn't work, married an actress who was light, married an actress young who lived with him in a big mansion and she did a lot of puzzles. Like, there's a lot of things that are connected to him. But because that was the case, because it was so closely resembling Hearst's life more than any of the other people he was using to tell this story, Hearst sent all of his goons and all of his money and all of his newspapers after this film, after Orson Welles, he tried to smear Orson Welles as a communist and get him arrested. He got into Hoover's fucking secret files real quick. He actually, this is according to Orson Welles, sent an underage girl and a photographer into his hotel room. And then when he was going to go there, a cop drove by, stopped Orson Welles and said, Orson Welles, I can't let this happen. There's a girl in there. They're gonna, they're gonna, the moment you walk in there, she's going to jump on you. They're going to take a picture and they're going to frame you. They're going to send you to jail. And he's like, really? And he's like, yes. And he got in his car and he drove away. And he doesn't even know if that's true. But he believed that cop. He, it, it, they burned this movie so bad that, it, like, Hearst actually was going to pay uh, RKO um, Studios to burn the print. He wanted them to burn it. But uh, Orson Welles showed it to as many people as he could in the industry. And the reviews were so raving. Everyone loved it so much that they had to screen it. The, new, the word of mouth was too good by that point. So, like, some people were going to see this. This got nominated for every single Oscar you could ever get nominated for uh, that wasn't supporting or lead actress. And or, uh, it, it only won one for screenplay. I mean, that makes sense. No, it doesn't at all. Really? This movie, I'm going to get into what, like, I'm going to get into this movie. But it, that move, that Citizen Kane should have walked into the 1941 Oscars and just grabbed every award, just whipped out its dick and smacked it in everyone's face, Transformers stop. It won that year. It was the greatest movie <laughs> of that year. <laughs> nice callback. Totally. It should have walked in and been like, this is a movie, guys. This is, gonna, this is movies for the next 50 years. I'm out. But Hearst's power was so against it. Like, like, it only, it bombed. This movie bombed terribly. 
it it air it showed for a little bit and then it never got played again until the mid 1950s. This movie ruined Orson Welles' career. The next movie part of his contract was called The Magnificent Ambersons, based off a novel that was kind of sort of based off his father's life. And they complete the studio completely took the movie away from him. They cut his 20 minutes and they totally sh- reshot something else. It broke his damn heart. Every movie he's made after that point with RKO or at all has pretty much gets taken from his hands. Lady from Shanghai, it's not really the cut that he wanted. They still took it away from him. He would get real famous with my favorite movie of all time, The Third Man. And he Which, would be known. I have to say, okay. Mm-hmm. So, full disclosure, I, as well as Zach, had a busy week and only watched it once. But. I watched a few essays, and one of them showed your avatar photo, and right underneath it said the third man. So now I know where that avatar's from now. Yeah. Yeah. Him in the tunnel with the light against him? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Uh, The silhouette, yeah. Uh, I actually have two. The one from my phone is one of um, Holly Martin's, the other lead of that movie, looking around a corner to see if his friend is there. It's great. I love it's my favorite movie. And a lot a lot of what that movie is took from this movie too, Citizen Kane as well. Um, but that would be his famous his most famous role ever would be Harry Lyme. He'd do a radio show of it, the everyone would always hum the theme song to him. Like he would never escape Harry Lyme. That that was his most famous thing ever at that point. Um he would get into television eventually, um, doing sort of essays and traveling around the world and stuff. This is true, I found this out. He at one point um, in the 50s, there was a story about a black guy who was beaten by the cops so severely that he was blinded. And he wrote an essay about it. And he hunt. He basically Twitter canceled this guy, this cop. He sent. He's like, I want to know this cop's name. I need to know this cop's name. And he got the cop's name out. And he went to trial. And of course, he got off. It was the fucking 1950s. But that that was something that was instilled to him from his mother and how he grew up. Like that's the kind of shit that he fought for. Um, he was, uh, he did a movie called touch of evil. He did, he did a few more Shakespeare's like he did his own version of Othello. Um, he did his own, uh, Hamlet. Oh God. They're incredibly beautiful and moody and just impressive. Uh, he would eventually get another chance to make a movie, um, for a studio called uh, touch of evil. And, um, they took that away from him. They changed his edit again. They did it with another film called Mr. Artigan. They changed that, called it something else entirely. Um, and over time, he would just, he wouldn't get respect until the mid-50s. That's when Citizen Kane started getting re- reevaluated again. And then Sight and Sound would do a list in 1962 about the greatest films of all time, and it made number one. And everyone's like, huh? And it gets more love. By the 70s, you have people like Lucas and Spielberg and Brian De Palma and all these people growing up with this film around, and they love him. They, he's he's people love Citizen Kane by that point. They look people are totally reevaluating his work. By then he was doing he was a big drunk and he was very fat. He uh, he got, he tried to make a few movies. He tried to make a cheap version of Don Quixote that wouldn't come out till like 1992. He made another film that came out last year. Finally, they finally found the footage of it and they put it on Netflix. Um, it's a very weird movie. I watched it. Uh, it's very crazy. Um, 
but the most famous movie he would make last, like his famous, his best last movie was something called F is for fake. And it's a documentary ish about famous, um, art, famous art thieves and famous, um, uh, art, uh, fakes people who would sell like a Van Gogh, but really they made it. And it's just, it looks so much like a Van Gogh, but it's not, it's a, it, it, I, it's a fake. But the movie in and of itself uses editing so interestingly that there's a twist at the end of the movie you don't see coming. F is for fake is fantastic. It's a great movie. And um, it was the last thing he had complete control over. And it was a new style he was kind of working on. But he just would never get the money to make anything again. And by 1980s, he was doing a lot of voice work, a lot of commercials for frozen peas and wine. Uh, <laughs> And oh my gosh. there's a there's a um, there's a famous and I, I hate to bring this up, but it is it, I think it's for some people they consider it funny and some people consider it sad. Some people consider him just an asshole and he is kind of an asshole. Sometimes he, tre- he treated people pretty shitty sometimes. But there's a outtakes from Frozen Pea commercial where he's so drunk that he just can't he just can't talk. He's just an he's just drunk as shit. He's just sloppy drunk. Uh it's kind of funny, and it's also really sad because you just see where he's gone to. Um, the last famous thing he would ever do was a voice in the Transformers movie from 1980-something, 80 85 or 86, but he would pass away in 1985. Every, by that point, Citizen Kane was a well-established masterpiece. They, it, most people considered it the best picture of all time by that point. And his other work had been reevaluated, but like Hearst fucked him over so bad. Uh, that it just he, he self-destructed in a lot of ways too but the, he ruined his career and RKO ruined his career too and he just never got the opportunity to make anything like Sis and Kane on those terms again and the, the stuff that we would have gotten from him would have been insane would have been insane based off of what we get here but that's the story of Orson Welles that may be the most interesting director story that we've had on this show he is a very interesting director, yes. Like, interesting person. Dear God, like, talk about life imitating art. Yes, in a lot of ways, yes. Um. Okay, so the movie proper. Well, let, well, let me going into the movie. Yeah, what, what? How did you like this? Okay, so. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that tripped me up the most, I think, I didn't realize this until like halfway through the movie. I was like, I, I got so caught up in what the movie was trying to say that I forgot how beautiful it looks. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just concentrated on like, what is, like, what's the meaning behind what's going on? And then I, and then I realized, oh wait, there's some, there's some, there's some good stuff here. Uh, there's like some, um, ooh, Zach plays an interesting game. I'll explain that later. Um, so with this movie, I was, uh, I okay, uh, okay, let me. I'm kind of all over the place right now. Um, so yeah, I like the movie. 
like I said, I was caught up in what they were trying to say. And I forgot how good it looked. Um, like in an essay that I watched, it was like, it didn't hit me until now. It didn't hit me until I saw it. I was like, um, none of the, like, not necessarily not all of the, all the techniques, um, that are used in this movie are new, but it's how they're used that it's so revolutionary. Then I looked back and I'm like, there is a lot of stuff in this movie, and it didn't it didn't real it didn't hit me until so I watched um, 100 Years of Cinema, their video yeah. on Citizen Kane. And they showed its influence over the years, and that was like that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like there is stuff in this movie, there are techniques in this movie that people are using to this day. Mm-hmm. Um. So, okay, so let me give you a little bit of perspective with that then. Okay. Um, so here's what happened. Back to Orson Welles sitting in his office with a, a check, a blank check. All of a sudden, there's a knock on his door, and it's a guy named Craig Tolan. And he just walks in, and he's like, hey, are you Orson Welles? And Orson Welles says, yeah. And he goes, hi, I'm Greg Tolan. And Orson Welles goes, oh, the famous cinematographer Greg Tolan? And he goes, yeah, I want to work with you. And he goes, what? He goes, I just heard you got an unprecedented deal to make whatever you want. And you also don't know goddamn shit about film. So I want to work for you. And he's like, why? And he's like, I'll be able to do whatever I want. And you're not going to be able to tell me no or whether it's right or wrong because you don't know anything. And And you got a blank check sitting in front of you. And he's like, oh, my God. Well, that you're the best man that anyone would want for this position. Uh, yes, absolutely. And then he goes around and he starts thinking about who he wants to write this with. And he finds a guy named Herbert uh, Mankiewicz. Oh, one of the best writers who would also produce a man named Joseph Mankiewicz who'd write some of the greatest films of all time. All That Eve is insane. Um, Mankiewicz family is so famous that Ben Mankiewicz, the um, the person who's alive now is the guy who hosts TCM now. Like the Makowitz are Hollywood royalty. And he goes to Herbert Makowitz and he's like, I've got this idea for a story. Um, and he's like, I like your idea. And he goes, okay, well, how about you, <laughs> since you're such a rampant alcoholic, Orson sent him all the way out to Mexico to write the script where there was no alcohol. And he wrote about a hundred page treatment about what the movie was. Then Orson took it, fleshed that the hell out. And then during the shoot, uh, they would continue to work together to build the script. So you've got Orson Welles, famous cinematographer, famous writer. So now the script is done and they start shooting. And Orson doesn't know what a cinematographer does. So he's wandering around and setting the lights for himself. And one of the employees wanted to stop and be like, you're not supposed to do that. No, Greg Tolan stopped that guy and he's like, no, I want to see what he does. Uh, He doesn't know. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know what he's doing. He taught him how to use a camera in a day. The, the reason this movie is so good is because Orson Welles didn't know he couldn't do any of this stuff. He, he advanced cinema by, uh, uh, by years, by decades, because no one told him he couldn't do it. That's the only reason. And then he gets an editor. 
who's the editor? It's Robert Weiss, the guy who'd make, oh, oh God, West Side Story and Sound of Music and the first Star Trek movie. He would get Bernard Herrmann, Bernard Herrmann to play music, never made a musical score ever in his life. He'd go on to do all of Hitchcock. This movie is a murder's row of people. Every single person in every position is talented beyond belief, and they are at the helm of the vision by a guy who doesn't know that nothing's impossible. Like he's just he just he's doing whatever the hell he wants, and it's just breaking all the rules because he doesn't know them. That's how the best art is made. Certainly in this case. You like you have it's complete and utter fate. It it happened with Jim Henson. Someone walked in and was like, I believe in what you have. Here's a blank check. Go to London and make an entire season of a TV show. That you honestly, that's all it is. It's just giving money to people like and giving them the opportunity. If he hadn't made it about Hearst a little bit, who's to say what he could have made after it? But yes, absolutely. Deep focus more is probably the most important thing. The most important shot of this entire movie, in my opinion, is when, because it's repeated so often, is when he's get when he's outside playing, and then the camera passes through yep. the window, and you see his mother, father, and like the banker all talking about him, and the way it pans all the way to the table, how they got that shot done so that you can see everything down to him, and then how often. You see Orson in the, you see Kane in the background as people talk about his future or or make decisions for him. It happens so often through that technique. It's just so sad and and depressing. It's it's so good. It's amazing. There's so many things. Like yeah, he did because he watched John Ford. He took things from John Ford, but it was how they became motifs throughout the movie. Yeah, people had done deep focus before. Yeah, people had shown the ceilings before. And yeah, people had used um, ang- camera angles to apply power structure and power dynamics. But he used them as specific motifs in a film where every single shot, every single decision is years ahead of its time. It's just, everything has something new to it that had never been seen in 1941. Everyone who wasn't involved with Hearst was like, this is a masterpiece. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> so my like my I, when it came to the story um and you trying to think let's separate two things that's all the technical stuff we could talk about the technical stuff forever right. but the, the people do think that this movie can be boring but you were talking about what you think the movie was trying to say what do you think the movie was trying to say for so it's like so that's where i was like struggling the most and then when i thought and i was thinking about i'm like that scene i was thinking about it just now like that scene that you just described with him playing outside and everybody deciding his fate like Mm -hmm. that's the single most important scene throughout the movie and it happens in the first act um because then it explains everything else right after the final shot of Rosebud, the sled, burning. Because now that makes sense. To me. Um, because, uh, shoot. Let me, go, let me go to quotes here on IMDb. Because... Um, hold on. Because, like, um, so that last line... 
that last like dialogue from the guy who was trying to figure out what Rosebud meant, right? Thompson. Thompson, yeah. Um Hold on, I was trying to trying to find it. I was hoping it would be Um It's just So Something about Yeah, I'm trying uh, to line up my thoughts. So <laughs> Help me out here. I was I drifted off for a second because I was looking you, for that exact were, line. You were looking for the last lines of the movie with Tom. Yeah, the last line, like, like, um, no, like I don't the know jigsaw if puzzles. That word, yeah. And like he was trying to figure out because they were so fixated, like who is this guy? And then they were trying to figure out what this word what what this word was, and then he came to the conclusion of. Because he could, he never found out. He was like, maybe you can't boil a man's life down to one word. And then it turns out, yes, you could. <laughs> um. Well, that that's that is the power of cinema. They will never, no one will ever be able in his life to understand it. But we, the audience, will because we saw that moment play out. Right. That is the. That's one of the other ingenious things that it does. It. They never used. They never used the camera in this way before, making the audience feel like they are there, in that world. When a can. When the camera went through the sign, then through the window into the singer's room. No, that had never happened. No one ever felt like that's what the camera was doing. Most of they just put the camera in the room and they shot stuff. And yeah, you might see an elegant shot or an elegant set, or you might see good edits and stuff, but. The camera never, no one really used the camera so playfully before. And those moments um, have more impact because of it. So now that I'm thinking about it, of how it all strings together, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or anything like that, but like. You're wrong. Okay. Um, so with the help from the video essays it went from the way i looked at it was the way i see it now is it's a guy who had his fate sealed for him and then he wanted to like earn that kind of he starts out young and idealistic and then slowly over time, he just like that pain of like, he's still not set. Like, it's just, a, I feel like it's a story of like setting out to do the right thing and never being satisfied by it. That's certainly one way of looking that's at an it. As, like, I feel like that's an aspect of it. But there's also this as there's also this aspect of he want like he just like he never like there was a line that he said, um he said Um if I wasn't so rich I may have been a I may have been a better man. I may have been a great I, man. I've been a great man, yeah. I may have been a great man. Um, he is also like he never asked 
to be rich. And at the end, and like I feel like to to turn a phrase, trademark, trademark. Um, at the end of the day, trademark. Um, at the end, at the end of the day, he just wanted to ride his damn sled again. Uh, <laughs> um, like just let the man ride his sled, and then you burnt it after he died. I okay. Uh, so the the one the video essay that I got out of this that showed something new to me was something that was connecting this to Rashomon. Have you ever do you know anything about Rashomon? Sounds familiar. So Rashomon is an Akira Kurosawa movie. That's about, why. <laughs> um, I've just recently saw it myself this year when I slammed a bunch of his movies. Um, and it's about a crime that occurs between a samurai, a, a, a thief of some sort, I guess, um, just criminal, and the wife of the samurai. Um, something happened involving... Uh, sex and the samurai is murdered and you are as the audience member uh, basically put as judge jury and uh, forced to hear the story of the event from each different person and their perspective and each different version of this is told differently with the camera Um, in in the story with the thief you, he, his idea of how he views himself is different than how the other people view him, so on and so forth. Um, what I always thought was, okay, you're getting the different story from different perspectives. You don't know what's truth and what's lies, and the perspective is different in how you view the world and everything. What I didn't get was how your perspective of each story told from each individual is the thing that they're really getting at with that film. Whereas in Citizen Kane... Every single, every single story that's told about this person tells just as much about the person telling the story as it does Kane. In fact, there's only two moments in the movie that we actually spend with Kane alone, and one is when he dies. And that you don't really know anything about Kane. You know a lot about the people who knew him, but you, and you know about what they experienced with him. But they never got inside his head, and we as the audience never did either. Like, watching Leland talk about how upset he was, and watching Emily, uh, him have a a so-called affair with Susan, and that costing the election and hurting Emily, you start to realize, oh, Leland grew up and went to school with him and Emily. Leland probably loved Emily. He's not that upset that he ruined his campaign. He's upset because he hurt Emily. And you start to realize, oh, everything is painted from, like, it's everything he remembers is either cynical and about something bad that happened, or everything is to set up that viewpoint later. Whereas Bernstein is, like, allotting and deleting things, and way more optimistic and hopeful, and, like, the happy memories are what I remember when it comes to it. But you you don't get Kane's perspective, though. But you get a lot of, like, every single person tells their story differently. And it says just as much about them, whereas in Rashomon, you, there's a distance there so you can decide, is that thief really just a thief, or was he a guy that was, you know, put in that position based off of circumstances in society? It could go either way, and it, tell, it says way more about you, the viewer, than it does about the people that are telling the story. There's a distance there. They're way more like Cain. We actually get to know the people more so than we do Cain. 
And I found that really interesting this time around that it, you don't really know Kane. Just we know about as much as we would as the newsreel gives us. We may get a little bit closer and a little bit more of an idea, but it isn't until we see the sled that we get we understand what he was talking about. And the sled is different for everybody, but for me, it's that yeah, it's it's money totally. He was an idealist, but money changed everything. And the moment that he was taken away from his mom and forced to be raised by a banker, there's no love there. It's just I'm we're replacing it with the the, the story of. Citizen Kane to me is um, the effects that when you just try and buy stuff, like when your problems, you try to solve your problems with money. Everything he tried to fix, he tried to fix with money because that's what his mom did. His mom's like, I just ran into a bunch of money. He's like, dad is a bad dad and he's going to grow up rich. So he better know how to be rich. And I'm going to fix that problem with my money. I'm going to send him to be raised by a banker. And that's, that ruined him forever that decision that like you don't need your sled i can just buy you a new sled we're just gonna buy you we'll buy you yeah i'm gonna make you i'm gonna make you a famous opera singer because i paid for it i i said so you you gotta love me don't you love me it's yeah i i probably my favorite new thing that I found this time watching it that struck me was when Bernstein, when you go see Bernstein for the first time for his interview and he's just been, he's, he's, he was not a stooge, but he is a little stoogy. He's basically for the rest of the film, the right hand man business wise for Kane. And he's talking to him and that's, he's just basically going to talk about Kane. But then there's a moment where, uh, where, the reporter's like, uh, Rosebud could just be any girl. And Bernstein tells the story about the girl that he saw on the ferry. But I noticed that throughout this time, the camera's been zooming in on Bernstein. But the moment it gets to that story, it lowers a little bit, pans down a little bit, and you see his reflection in his own desk. And you're literally seeing another side of Bernstein, a different side of his humanity. And then when he's done telling his story about the girl on the ferry, the camera pans up and it's just him and we're talking about Kane again. And that happens so often with so many people in this movie. You get to see two different sides to people. There's so many dimensions to people. Um, I think mirrors are used different effects, like when he's walking down the hallway after Susan leaves him and you see the, all the different Canes and mirrors. That's just a that's a broken dude. That's a guy that's not one person anymore. They're using mirrors to be like this is a absolutely fractured person. So there's a lot of little like tricks and stuff that you can find in every scene, and that was probably my favorite one this time. I was like Bernstein's reflection. I've never caught that before. Yeah, the, when that when it came when um. So in my DSLR class, which was a Suedo Film 101 class of how to make a movie they showed a they showed that clip of him trashing the room from this movie yeah and like now seeing in the context in context i was like okay so that's why that scene is great because then he is like and hearing the story behind it whereas like after because they would do multiple takes of it and they had to set it exactly the way it was (laughs) From before he trashed it, yeah. Uh, that's which is which is crazy. 
He also cut his hand because he couldn't see very well because I remember there head. being an injury from that. I just didn't know oh, exactly what it was. There's several injuries on set. Um, I, 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 my favorite thing about that moment it, when I was watching it is just like he's just at his wit's end. He's like fucking things. I'm just surrounded by things. All of these things. He's just. I don't need any of this stuff. Why do I have this? Why does she? I don't want this here. She reminds me of here. Like, why did I get her all this shit? She doesn't want any of this shit. Shit sucks. I want my sled. It's awesome. I love it. Right. I, um, I, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Um, I think that whole... Um, the whole mansion thing is just crazy in general. Just how big it is. The fact that they're having parties. Uh, like, there's uh, vacationers on the other It's so funny, like the, like the news report was so was like so typical now. Zanadu. <laughs> um, Apparently, they were mocking um, that a bad newsreel of the time. Ah, I see. I didn't know that either. I thought that's how newsreels were in 1941. Right. Up, like they were making fun of a bad newsreel of 1941. Um. So, dang, I had, I had another point. Shoot. Um, like, I feel like the most engrossing stuff was the stuff with Susan. I look at like, okay, so you talked about some people thought the movie was boring at times. Like, honestly, I was starting to feel that before Susan came really? up. Before Susan came up. Yeah. Just like. Like I was starting to feel it, I was like, "Okay, where where is this going?" Like I, I, like, I'll be honest, I didn't really pick up on, like, it's revealing more about the people telling the story of Cain than Cain himself. Oh, I didn't know that until I watched a video on it now too. That's that's the thing. Like that's why I think watching this more than once. I, well, first of all, watching this more than once, period. Like, I, every time I watch this, there's something more to it. There's just, it's a deep film in so many aspects. There's like a wealth of info to it. Um, but if, 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 if you'd have watched it twice this week, you would probably be like, I, I think watching the first time, you're discombobulated by the narrative. Watching it a second time, knowing the story and who's telling it and where these perspectives are coming from, you start to. I think you enjoy a little bit more because for me, I've seen this so much. I watched it for this and I got halfway through and I was like, I need to go to sleep just because I'm tired. But I thought I was going to make it. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, no, you know, maybe this is slow because the newsreel is kind of boring. It's kind of cheesy. I get I get interested the moment he sells it to his friend and he says that I wish I would, you know, I wish I was everything you hate. And then it cuts straight to um, him young uh, arguing with his guardian. And I was like, this young Orson Welles is amazing. I, it just, I'm right back at it. Uh, but I got halfway through. And then, yes, I went back to it, and I started it from the Susan stuff, halfway through the movie, where Leland was in the middle of telling the Susan stuff. Right, right when the – in fact, right when they met. I started it I, – I started right when they met. And I fell in love with the movie again, and I immediately watched it from the beginning back to that point right afterwards. And I was like – Yes, there's just something about the build here. There's something about Susan and her story. But my, I, admittedly, I think my favorite stuff is is when him and I think my favorite scene 
just enjoying it where I'm like have a smile on my face is when they bust in to the newspaper for the first time and they're moving all their stuff in. And he's like, Mr. Carter, Mr. Carter. Like, I just love that. That was super goofy. Um, I will say. In this time, I really think is the meat. I will say, I think I would have had like, I think it was the, the difference of having subtitles because I had subtitles on. And if I, I think if I didn't, this would be another plan nine because there were a lot of people talking over each other. I was just, I I started getting annoyed at one point. I was like, listen, just let each other say each other's lines. No, that's why I sent it to you right away after I started watching it for the first time this week. I was like, Oh, captions. Tell them about captions. Yeah. I took that. I took that to heart. Um, So I did. Here's the thing. I did go into the movie because whose line is it anyway? Uh, spoiled the ending for me. <laughs> um, a lot of things. So I, so I knew, so I knew that Rosebud was the sled. So with that in mind, I was trying to see, like, like that's where I got discombobulated, because I was trying to see why, like, Rosebud is a sled. So I went into it thinking, okay, why is Rosebud the sled? Like what's this? Like I had a loose idea, but I wanted to see what the film, what the film was trying to say about it, instead of hearing what other people like were saying about it. Like I said, open mind. Um, like last week. Um, I think that's where I got discombobulated, honestly, because like I, I mean, that's the, where I was getting caught up. That okay, fair enough. Um. Knowing that that's a mystery and it's not even just time and people telling you that that's how the that's what the movie tells you and that's the last question they ask it's the last beat of the film, uh, dime store, Freudian breakdown is innocence it's the loss of innocence that's the moment he lost all innocence like his childhood was gone love of his mother is gone flashed into another lifestyle and forced to grow up uh, loss of innocence for sure but it's more than that for him. Like, it's the fact that he knows that's the moment. It's the fact that he went through, he just kept trying to find what he was looking for. And it wasn't until this last person just completely gave up on him that he saw this, like, house. And he just was brought back to this, like, final, final moment in his life. And he realizes it. And it shatters him. It's not just, at least for me now, it isn't just that he wants the sled. It's that he understands that that sled was the last time he was having genuine fun with something that was his. It was cheap. It was a piece of wood. It was a sled, but it was his. It was the thing that he loved the most at that moment. And they said, here's another one. And that's what his life has been ever since, just replacing shit. And it's never stuff that he wanted. Like when Susan's saying, you just keep buying me things, it's never stuff that I want. That's what he does for himself. All the time. And so when he's just saying robes to me, when he's saying Rosebud, when he's thinking that sleigh, he's thinking like that was the last time I was just playing with something that was mine. I didn't care the value of it. I didn't care how good it was. Like my parents were there. It was a nice day. And then I literally everything was different. Everything. It's the fact that he realizes that moment was it. That's that's terrifying. Terrifying. 
Yeah. So. I, I would say that, that since that's the mystery of the film, I can see being distracted by that, not just that people tell you that that's what it is, or even if you know that that's what the mystery is leading to. For me, the question over time watching this film over and over again is, do I like Charles Foster Kane? Like, now that I'm realizing more and more that I didn't know him, now that I'm starting to realize watching the movie that how much more is clouded by the characters that are telling their story, then I'm like, oh, I didn't really know him that well. I just knew him from his friend's perspective. Crap. Okay. But his actions are still out there, and he still made decisions, and they still hurt people. And we may not get all the answers why, why that happened, but we can still put more pieces together. For me, the answer to the question is, like, the, the, I guess since it's like this is what happens when you replace shit when you say when you think money buys things that's like i guess the universal theme for it but as for kane himself do i like him as a person do i feel bad for him do i feel sad for him i'm with susan you know i i i think he 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 had the ability to be nice but once once he was all about his power once it was all about his money once it became all about control because he couldn't let anybody in because he didn't want to lose anybody again then you can't he, he just became a slave to that aspect. Right. Um, so I think the bigger, the bigger thing is this is just a very well-told story about um, an amazing figure in uh, the span of history. And we'll never fully get to know that person because that person will always keep everyone at a distance. So he just told that story as fucking well as possible that's just all it is so without even knowing what to do exactly like it's just the more you watch it the more you get out of it the more you understand about storytelling and how to like it's yeah it's just an incredibly well-told story it's i i just i can't wrap my mind around it every single decision he makes is meant to enhance the thing you're watching to get something out of it, to get some idea out of it. And yeah, because he didn't know some of these things weren't possible, he did them. And it's crazy. It's just crazy. Um, I, the more I watch it, the more I like it. The more, the more I go through history and I see powerful men make crazy decisions and powerful people get, you know, changed by money. Like, well, I, I didn't, didn't know anything about Elon Musk. And the more I know about him now, like, the more I'm impressed by some of the things he did scientifically but also i'm like what a douchebag just like he's going around right now saying like we shouldn't have stimulus checks but he's getting like he's getting billions of dollars and it's like what are you talking about dude just shut your mouth and invent shit old man yelling at clouds it's he's not even old man he's just a rich dude he was he's a guy who had good intentions but now he's so famous and rich that his intentions are gone like I, i i can't stand him it's what happens to people with money. He was, and he had money before he even got into money. So like, yeah, it's just, I, I guess you could say who gives a shit about rich, powerful men, but a story like this just gives you an idea of how, of the wealth of that world of the people that are around him, and what happens when somebody, what could have been a great person, but because they had such a shattered interior, they wrecked everything. They wrecked everything with the money. They were like, I'm just going to buy people. If they're mad at me, I'll continue to buy things from them. Like, I, it's crazy. 
Um, hmm. well, I think there are three questions to Citizen Kane overall. It, do, do you think this is the greatest movie of all time? Is this the greatest movie of all time? And do you like it? Those, those are the three things. Like, I think this is probably... I've seen... I don't know a lot of foreign cinema, but I do know a, little about, a lot about the history of cinema. And I have not come across anything as much of a milestone as this. It's not just how interesting the story is that I came across. It's just like everything that came, everything that came together in this came together so perfectly. It's, it is a once, it's lightning striking a needle in a haystack that would later be used to sew the first American flag. Like it is, it is a once in a bazillion, gazillion years type thing. It couldn't have lasted. He never could have continued this kind of route. Like it had to implode in some way. The universe wouldn't have allowed it. It produced this, and then it was like, done. We're wrecking this life. You're a martyr now. It's insane. But I do... So I do think, yes, it's the greatest movie of all time. It's just got such a leg up on other movies. It, it made so many, so many inventive things before... It defined movies for so long. It's crazy. Um, just so many milestones. Do I think it's the greatest movie of all time? I love The Godfather. I love I love Casablanca. I I I there are things about those movies that I make me want to watch them more than I watch Citizen Kane, but I'm enjoying Citizen Kane the more I watch it. Um so I I I do think this is the greatest movie of all time. Godfather is a close second for me, but this this is I think the greatest movie of all time. Um I don't do think I it like gets it? much deeper than this. Uh, it's it's a wealth. It's a, it's a wealth. It just goes, it keeps going. Um, and do I like it? Yeah, I love it. I've learned to absolutely love this movie. It's not a pretentious thing. Like I've learned to love the shots, love the cuts, love the decisions, love the script. I, the first thing that I fell in love with with the movie was the script. Like I, I, the first couple times I watched it, I was like, okay, I get it. Is this is impressive even for 1941? And then after a while, the, the the script really got me, and his performance really got me. And the guy who would play Leland is the guy who plays Holly Martins in The Third Man. So you get to see these two guys play best friends again. So I, I've learned to really appreciate that, too. I, I, I genuinely love this movie. What about you? Okay, so it's... So the three questions is, is, it, is this the greatest movie of all time? Do you think it's the greatest movie of all time? And do you like it? I think... Uh, this is going to sound like a cop-out, but this is like my gut instinct. I just feel like I think about things like to... I don't think about things objectively enough to say that it's the... To the, for me to think if it's the greatest film of all time, like there's so much good stuff out there. Um, and a lot of it coming from this movie, granted. Um, do I think it's the greatest film of all time? I can't. Personally, I can't. I I don't have it in me to say. 
you know, like I don't, I, I don't like, um, I don't really like to, th- I don't think I personally like to think about movies of whether it's the greatest ever or the worst ever, unless it's really bad, then I'll say it's like the worst ever, but that's just <laughs> being, that's just me being me. Um, but the best movie ever besides the Star Wars movie, I'm kidding. Um, do I think it's the greatest? I gen- I don't think I can say. Because when I'm thinking about it, like, it didn't do it first. It didn't do any of what it did first. But it did it, it did everything it did the best. I think. Mm-hmm. Um... It does have some innovations, yes. Yes, but it does have some innovations. Um, is it the greatest movie ever? I don't think I could say yet because I don't think I've seen enough yet. Um, I think I know what I'm replacing this on the curiosity wheel with, and I will share it with you when we get to the curiosity wheel again. Um, so I'll keep you in the dark about that, everybody. Um. Hype train. Do I like it? Yes. I do like this one. Um, I like how it's told. I especially like how it's... I like... I like how it's edited. Um... Yeah. I like how it's edited. I like how it's told like the story being told um and like oh yeah the perform like despite all I've seen which isn't that much compared to you and Zach but like this is some of the best acting I've seen I think Orson Welles is nuts He's like, a twenty-five. He's a twenty-four-year-old. No, he's a twenty-five-year-old guy playing someone from twenty-five to their death. Blew me away. That he was. No, I thought that the real Orson Welles was the was like the later years Citizen Kane. Like this later years Charles Kane. To know that he was twenty-five years old throughout the entire movie blew me away. And I think I that, that may be the best performance I've seen. It's one of my favorite performances of all time, too. Um, not only that, every single person, including Orson Welles, had never acted in front of a camera ever. So everybody was like a, um, Alan, an Alan Rickman or a Rosamund Pike. Um, yes. That th- these are all actors from his theater troupe that he created. So they, they all came from working with him, and then he's like, I, we're now doing this in front of a camera. And they're like, all right. And they all became famous. Like Joseph Cotton, the guy who played Leland, be, become incredibly famous. All these actors, some of these actors would be nominated for Oscars down the line. Like, yeah, this is all their starting point. This is all filled with like actors that would be like lauded down the line. Um, I will say, the more I think about it, I'm leaning in the direction of, I think this may be, like, an actual, like, 
perfect movie. I think it's like, here's the thing. Like, um, time has been maybe the kindest it's ever been to this movie. Mm-hmm. Cause like it took time for it to get recognized as it is right now. Same thing with Night of the Hunter. Yeah. Um, like, like it, it took a while because it got, because it bombed and got canceled for a little bit. Um, and then now everybody's like, it's a masterpiece and everybody's calling it the greatest film ever. I personally, like I said, I personally don't like, I don't like to subscribe to like that line of thinking. Cause like, I will say that like, the Dark Knight's my personal favorite film. But, well, that, like, that, that's me. That, that, to me, begs the... But that's where I think people tend to forget that it's really two different questions. There's a difference right. between what is your personal favorite and what is the best. And when you think about best, it usually takes just knowing about the history of something. Like, I, it, there are things less subject... There are things way more... Um, subjective like sports like you can look at the stats of sports players but then you also look at like their stories and their histories and in the universal elements and variables that came into what happened like a bird hit the ball so like the rhythm of the game got changed or something like there's a lot of elements so you can look at it and see it as a story and go this is the way it is when it comes to film i think the answer to the question of whether this is the greatest of all time which is the more you learn about film especially american film you're like yeah like the everyone everyone who made this would go on to do great stuff and did great stuff here it's one it's pretty much one guy's vision and with the help of a couple of a screenwriter and a cameraman he basically produced the best version of it ever at 25 years old it's an advanced an entire form of storytelling because of it like it's it's like um snow white and the seven drawers once that came out people were like fucking masterpiece for the rest of all time it, it just a toy story. There are movies that come out that advance things miles ahead in cinema. And you're like, we can't go back. The jazz singer with sound. They're like, Oh, we're done now. We're done with silent film. Later silent film. You're done. This is one of those movies. This is one of those say, you're like done milestone done masterpiece. What's next? Like you can't, you just can't take, the more you learn about film. You're like, Oh God, this was perfect. This was the perfect, this masterpiece. I will say that, like, recently I had that experience with Jurassic Park because, like, um, when I watched it in the movie theater, I was like, this was the first time, like, like modern computer graphics ever hit theater screen. Is that right? Because I feel like I feel like I'm butchering that. Like, that was, um, like, the it, first it's time. Not, it, it's not the first time that it had happened technically because James Cameron had done it twice before with a movie called the abyss and then Terminator two. But in those movies, they are basically just liquid. One's a mirror, one's water, but Jurassic park is the first one that steps it up. And they're like, here's a full fledged animal. This is a thing. When they look up, that thing is real. We're treating that thing. Like it's real that, that like it's an animal. Look at it. We put flesh on it. It has eyes and a smile. Like, it's not the first time, but basically it took it miles ahead. Absolutely. 
it wouldn't do anything. It would take like a couple years ago by and other people would do stuff, but like none of it was as of that caliber. So yeah, that's basically what I'm talking about. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Um, that no one can look, no one can go back. It changes. Right. Things. It's, it's like the, what the Joker says, you change things. Dark man. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, um, the like with the like with the Dark Knight is the, is the Batman of if got if movies are Gotham, Citizen Kane is Batman. Right, like with the Dark Knight itself, like sure, like Batman Begins and like the X Men films, like the first two X Men films before it, like they were like the first to like take it seriously. And then the Dark Knight comes around and just, like, wipes pretty much all that away. Or just blows it out of the way, quality-wise. And now, to this day, even after all the Marvel films that have come out, still some will say that is the greatest comic book movie ever made. No. Agree? But I do think it's, I do think it's one of the best movies ever. I don't even consider it just one of the best comic book movies. I think it's one of the best movies ever. Um, but I don't know if it's the greatest comic book movie uh, ever. Spider Man Two is really high up there for me, and I really oh, I like about those. I, I I actually really like Infinity War. I think Iron Man is really good. I think the original Batman's fun. I think Superman's fun. Um, but I think in terms of the best, Spider-Man 2 is a really, really strong, really strong uh, contender for that. And I think Infinity War more than Endgame, but Endgame is pretty great. Um, those last couple Marvels are pretty great. Um, but comic book has become so varied. I guess if you're going to go superhero, um, that narrows it down and it certainly gets up there too. But I also think Spider-Man 2 is still a fight. But uh, I also think that Dark Knight is just one of the greatest movies of all time. I think if you look, it it, it it bypasses its genre, it, it excels above it. Like Goodfellas is an amazing movie despite it's a gangster movie. Um, Terminator Two is an amazing movie despite that it's just an action movie. Like it surpasses the limits of its genre. Uh, it's insane. I love it. But I and I also think it goes deeper than just the performance of Heath Ledger. I think. The script is nuts. I think there are problems with it, sure, that you bypass because it's a great blockbuster. But I think the, the best thing about The Dark Knight is, yeah, the the leap from Batman Begins to Dark Knight is crazy. From Batman Begins to Dark Knight to Inception. Forget about it. Yeah. That's so, such a good one. But, like, as we were saying, back to Willow. Um, back to Willow. There, like this movie still influences um, almost 80 years later. 80 years! 80 years, Helen! <laughs> um, and to this day, like, imagine, like, that still, like, blows my mind that I can't get over it. Imagine you, like... 
you're a prodigy, essentially, never made a film, have no interest in making a film, and a studio gives you a blank check. You then hire the best guys you can find at the time. Like, top of the class people. And they just let you figure it out yourself, and then you make argue, arguably the greatest film ever made. And your work is influenced 80 years later. 80 years later. Mm-hmm. You know what? This may be the best movie ever made. <laughs> uh, now, okay. So let's, okay. So I've, we keep talking about that aspect of it, but like, let's just think of it as a movie on its own. You liked it, but it didn't grab you right away. Would you watch this again? Would you watch this on the big screen again? I think I would. I'm serious. I think I would. <laughs> um, I think you. I think everyone would benefit from it. I would. I haven't seen it yet, but I. I. That's the test to it because this is one of the most. The a movie like this opens itself up the more you watch it, uh, for sure. But I also think the story becomes more interesting as you watch it, and that's the thing that is hardest to grasp onto. What is the story? Because it's told so weird and because this guy's kind of a dick. Uh, and it's just this... <laughs> but you're basically watching a rich guy be an asshole. Like, and then he dies. Um, I can see how that's boring to a lot of people, but honestly, the older you get, the more you go through life, the more you watch this movie, the more different perspectives there are to looking at it, the more you watch film and understand how this does this things differently. The decisions this uses versus all the stuff you see on TV every day. Like, this may have inspired stuff, but then people got lazy. This guy spent every ounce of energy to make sure every single shot and scene was done as interestingly as possible. Because he didn't understand any reason why not to. That's insane. That's just the way he told stories. Every single way he could to make it as interesting as possible. And then you... I watched a documentary that came out a couple years about a guy who found a who was able to get a suitcase of all of his uh, Orson Welles's drawings and sketches that he did throughout his life. Dude, he was amazing. He was nuts and you start to realize just how much painting really affects the best filmmakers in my opinion. Some of the best filmmakers are the ones who wanted to sculpt or paint or do some form of artistry before they got to working with a camera and working how that how moving images work with just an image. Um, and it just opened my mind to the way that he thinks light works, to how angles work, how shapes move. I, I, all of it is just, it, it's so much more interesting when you see how he saw the world. Um, I, and it's, again, a bunch of people supporting that vision. It's Greg Tolan being like, I'm not going to tell this guy what he's doing is wrong. It may be right. I don't know. This guy's not. And you have other people like Robert Wise who are just, skilled in and of themselves going i got an idea and they're like what and he's like you know that newsreel footage what if i just kind of dragged the the film on the ground and took some sandpaper and kind of worked off some of the edges and they're like great and now it looks like genuine newsreel footage like they didn't nobody ever did that back then in 1941 that was brand new it was a special effect he made people thought that the film was damaged and they wanted to redo it and he's like no no no, no. that's how it looks it looked that way i there's so many people coming together to make interesting decisions that just saw the same vision that he did. And he just did it. He was drinking like 30 cups of coffee a day. 
Dude, like thirty? Yeah, dude, he got basically caffeine poisoning, and he had to switch to tea. But he's like, if if tea is such a process to make, if I'm making it, it'll slow me down. But instead, he paid somebody else to make it, and then he was basically drinking too much tea again. <laughs> yeah, all my I, friends are getting obsessed with tea now. I the thing about me with this film is I. I like a lot of people. I watched it because someone's like, "You need to watch this," either for school or because someone's like, "You got to watch this. It's the best movie ever made." And then I watched it. And I was like, "Okay, it's a really well-told story about a guy I don't like." Cool. And then later I watched it after watching more movies, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, this is pretty, pretty damn well done. <laughs> this is better, better than I remember." And then the the third or fourth time, I was like, "The script just goes so well, man. This performance is so nuts. I love this. I love this stuff. This like bebop. I'm digging it." And then it opened up more and more and more. And then I started getting into black and white films and like film noir in general. And I started seeing like the shadows and how light works in this film. And it's like it, so many more things started to open up. And at the end of the day, like the more films I watch, the more I appreciate um, what this film had to offer. Just, oh God, I, I, I'm just looking at a shot right now. It's nuts. Just the deep focus stuff is insane. I, uh, I the yeah the the more I watch it the more I fall in love with it and the more I fall in love with the story and the more I fall in love with like different ways of viewing it, um, and how pre- and, like it it sucks to say that this is like Donald Trump says this is his favorite movie but honestly I just think he says that there's a video of him explaining what he likes about the movie and it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It's so dumb. It's super bad. I don't know. That Puddle of Mud cover of Nirvana was pretty dumb, dude. Uh, Well, that's a song, and this is a guy trying to describe what he likes about a movie that he's obviously never seen before. And even if he has seen Sissy Kane, he was not watching it when it happened. He just, I, he says this is his favorite, but he's the kind of guy who's like, what's the greatest movie ever made? Citizen Kane? That's my favorite. That's my favorite one. I tell you, you know, he, he was, he had money, but money isn't happiness, and it didn't buy it for him. And it's just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. But it is pretty prescient about um, Donald Trump. I'll tell you that much. Don, this is a story about a guy who tried to use money to buy love from everyone because he just it had it yanked away from him. And he thought, well, if you can buy me new sled, then I can buy love. And Donald Trump is the guy who became president because he wanted the world to love him. Uh, and, uh, you know, everyone hates his ass. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's very it's very prescient in that way. Like there are other people that you can compare Kane to, of course, Hearst and other, and others, but like, uh, it, it's re- it's a lot like him. I mean, just when you look at the Trump tower and you look at Trump on everything, and then you look at this movie and it's like, he put the K and Kane on everything. It's on his pajamas. It's on his fence. It's on everything. Oh my God. The amount of K's in the room when he's running for the campaign and it all goes to shit. Oh God. It's insane. Um, so not only, so not only is it like influential eighty years later, it's also relevant eighty years later. Oh God, there's there's universal things I think about this film that are just magical. One of my favorite is one of the original stories for the script that they scrapped, and they have notes of this, is that um, his his son was going to survive the car crash. And then later grow up to join a group uh, of extremists that want to um, bring the government down. And William Randolph Hearst, uh, one of his um, 
cousins or grandkids was kidnapped and then they Stockholm syndromed him and he became a rebel for an extremist group that tried to bring the government down. Oh, wow. So yeah, there's like some things this movie, I think maybe a little too on the nose. Uh, in the forties, they predicted this in the forties. That's the thing. Like, that's what he was. He, they made it up and they scrapped it. He's like, ah, it's, it's just too dumb. I don't want it. And then years later, it actually happened to the guy that the movie's sort of about. So, like, I honestly think this is lightning striking a needle that would like so one of the most important things in the world. Like George Washington's clothes. I don't know, but like, this this movie is it's it's too big for the people involved. Not for the one man who made it to not crumble under the weight of it he built an empire and it crushed him so grading it's like that money ball reference the first one that threw the wall is always bloody oh my gosh anyway um grading a plus yeah i don't think you can give it anything less than that honestly the more i watch it the more i'm like a plus 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 like, I was afraid I was going to give it an A+, plus because I felt like I was pressured to do so. I'm like, when I think about it, it's like, I, like, it all just comes together. I mean, I think you probably liked Night of the Hunter more, I would assume. I do. I, I think I do, honestly. I think that's just a, I think that's a more fun movie, of course. But, like, that's the question. Like, it's not about what you like. It's about understanding the quality of something. And being okay with that. Like, just because Citizen Kane isn't something that you would watch every day or Schindler's List isn't something I wouldn't watch every day. Every time I watch it, I'm amazed at how good it is. And it shakes me in both of these cases. I watch it and I'm getting more entertained by, because I think this movie has funny bits and I think it has pattern and I think it's like entertaining, but the point of it is pretty dour and pretty sad. And you don't really want to do that all the time, but I do. I am always impressed with how good it is. Always impressed. Mm. But Night of the Hunter's great. <laughs> <laughs> Lean. <laughs> they're both they both got their due, man. Um also I have to appreciate that this movie isn't so like think about where think about where we've been for the last like month and a half with like the Matrix sequels. Mm-hmm. Well, like ideas and allegories that are so and it's so far up its own ass and this movie's like as deep as it'll get and it doesn't force any of that on you it just leaves you to think about it mm-hmm. like we have been on polar opposite ends of like um of like a spectrum of like not of a spectrum of depth and um, I would I say ambition and scope too. Yeah, ambition and scope. Um, every I, single like, film, like The Matrixes, The Dune, Night of the Hunter, and this are all huge, huge, massive swings. Yeah. Um, maybe that momentum will continue into the series wheel. Speaking of which. Also, yeah, Citizen Kane, greatest movie ever made. I so, love it. We're, uh, we're <laughs> guess, guess what we're guess what we're getting to in the point in the movie that I, in front of me. Um, uh, uh, the room being torn apart. Nope, 
he was just about to burn the sled. Ah, nice. We nailed it. We nailed it. Um, Kane, watch it. It's pretty good. It's pretty entertaining. I think it's good. So, series wheel. <laughs> we are embarking on a new journey tonight. Zach has submitted two series that are already on the wheel. Yeah, he did not double check that work. So what he's suggesting is that maybe we just, I think we should just pick a random one. From the back back catalog? Because like I think if that's where if that's where he's like I don't know spin a wheel from the back list. The, I, w- the I didn't bring line. anything to the table either. I agree. Just I think the back catalog is good enough. Okay, so I'll read the back catalog. Um, look who's talking. Mm-hmm. The Expendables. Mm-hmm. Scream. Oh yeah, Scream. Taken. Okay. Oh god, fourteen cuts. Um, Star Trek. Yes, oh, wow. all of it. All of it. Uh, the Before Trilogy. Mm-hmm. The Chronicles of Riddick. Oh yeah. Um, View Askew minus Dogma because we already did that one. Um, Shrek. For the movies. Oh, yeah. Um, Howard to Train Your Dragon. That's right. Um, also, I found out. I found out recently. Same guy who directed Lilo and Stitch, which might I, I might put that on the curiosity wheel too, um, at some point. I've never seen it. It's pretty good. That's uh, I remember. Um, the Dark Knight trilogy mm-hmm. that we originally had on there, but we had Burns Batman on there too, and it would have been confusing. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, mm-hmm. The Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. The live action. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. Uh, Robocop. Okay. Death yeah. Wish. Oh, my God, yeah. Rush Hour. Mm. Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. Three Ninjas. Um, the Mighty Ducks. Twilight. Jesus. The Man With No Name. Oh, yeah. The old Monsterverse. Yes. And Alex Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Two goods and a what the fuck. <laughs> so that's all that's on the backlog. Um, Anything strike your fancy? Okay, so I have to... I'm leaning towards Hunger Games, and here's why. Okay. Everything's falling off my desk. Um, so my friend Sage, who is also a filmmaker. The only other filmmaker I talked to. Okay. Who's actually made an award-winning film. Um actually I gotta send you that link. I did audio on that project. It's uh it's all right. Um it won best audience choice at uh I think five sixteen film festival. I don't know. Anyway, um, my award has not come in the mail. Sage, looking at you. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it's a short film that we made at a college dorm, and yeah. Anyway, um, 
So she puts together every year a group of friends, and we go out into a forest and play, like, Hunger Games. So what will happen is, she'll, her and a few other friends, they'll make weapons out of duct tape and, like, uh, foam and whatever. Um, and we'll go out and do a random park, and we'll actually, like, do the Hunger Games. Except it's non-lethal. Mm-hmm. Um, this year I competed for the first time after doing video the few the first, the few other times. <laughs> um, I was by myself because Katniss. Um, she ends up she doesn't end up alone. No. Um, but she did win. Um, several times I believe. I don't know. That second one was kind of a cheat. Anyway. Um, and I came third all by myself. It just, it just, it just so happened that the strongest two people, uh, teamed up at the very start and went through everybody, literally went through everybody. I mean, they do that in the movies too. Yeah. And also I was kind of pissy that I lost. Um, I do that too. So, because they saved me for last. That's what I. That's what I thought. Then they explained what happened, because I was almost killed earlier. Um, but then, then the major alliance that tried to end the other two attacked them and lost. Um, it was like a six on two, and they all lost, which was so funny. And then, so, one of them almost got me, and I ran off. Um, <laughs> and so, then, I wasn't very far, so then I ran again right by them. And I thought they were, that they did not come, they chose not to come after me. But it just so happened that, at the same time that I was running off, they... The uh, the two strongest guys they were attacked again, and then they dealt with those, and then it just ended up being me at the end. <laughs> then they then they killed each then they um then uh, they fought each other, and then the 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 absolute strongest person won. Well, but I came yeah. third. Well, third's not bad. Yeah, I know, but it's bronze, like my skin. Anyway, so oh, I'm dude, come on. I'm leaning towards the Hunger Games because I'm nostalgic now. Even though I know Mockingjay Part 1 is boring. Um, I don't think I ever saw it. Ooh, it's a it's a hard... It's like... When I watched it in the movie theater, I was like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> this is so boring. Oh, man. Like, that's how bad... That's how, that's how bad of an experience I had with that movie. Like, Mockingjay Part 1 was boring. Um... But at the same time, like, I don't see how you can combine the Mockingjay Part 1 and 2 into one movie. Like, I can't see that being done smoothly. Um, so I guess that's why they did it. Anyway. Um, so I'm leaning towards Hunger Games. I'm trying to see if there's anything else that I'd be interested in. What are you thinking? Okay, so I have three that caught my attention. Um, Logie's talking. Okay. Uh, it's just too crazy, and it would be a lot of fun. It's three 
it's one genuinely funny movie that's good and then the other two are just crazy bananas um chronicles of riddick because you get three you basically get one awesome character in three completely different movies um have you seen any of those i do not think i have Ooh, so pitch black is a horror movie um chronicles of riddick is a out and out sci-fi extravaganza epic and then riddick is um I guess you could say it's like a it's it's an escape convict movie like a bounty hunter movie I would say more than anything, um, but it, it they're all really good they're all just like three different movies and then um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of have my attention as well. They're all okay. Three- Here's what we'll do. I'll pick one. Mm-hmm. You pick one, and then we both pick one together. So we go four against each other. Oh wait, no. So the third, the third one we pick as a team. Yes, as you and me. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go. I, Chronicles of Riddick would be a lot of fun, but we already have a lot of sci-fi and action movies on here. I think it would be fun to have some comedy with the Look Who's Talking movies. All right. So I'll put. Hold on. Okay. So I'll put Look Who's Talking on there. I think I'm just going to go with Hunger Games. You know, I don't want to pick with nostalgia because then nostalgia will fade and it'll just sit on the wheel forever. Maybe. Oh, you, got my... an you got an inkling for it? You're going. You're gunning for it. I get it. But like, yeah, I'll just go with it. Hunger Games. Your gut. So it's relevant. Um, so, a little bit. Um, okay. okay, so... I don't know. You're kind of selling me on Riddick. I think Riddick is a good decision over the Turtles right now. Yeah, Riddick. I think you'd like. I think you'd like all three of those movies. Then let's go Riddick because that's where I was. He's kind of like. Also, it's more Vin Diesel. He's he's great in all of them. We could, that we could terribly impersonate. Uh, I don't know if I can't get my voice that deep. You know, yeah, but you're going to like him. You get Carl Urban. You get a lot of things. All right. Pitch Black the most. So for the series, well, we're parking on a new adventure. Um, so we're deciding between to replace the new series we'll pick with The Hunger Games, Chronicles of Riddick, and Look Who's Talking. And spin. It is Look Who's Talking. I knew it. Yes. Dude, okay. Um, although I think Chronicles of Riddick will probably be the one that I choose next time, it's just, it'll be fun no matter what. I'm glad we finally have some straight-up comedy on here because I, I think you're going to genuinely enjoy the first one and then the, they're going to they're gonna get weird after that for you and you're going to be able to make fun of them. Like, I, I know I say there's nothing worse than making fun of a, a comedy, but enough weird stuff happens in these movies that you can make fun of. It's not like they're bad. They're not terrible, but they like the third one's pretty cheesy, but that's it. Like we all kind of like sentimental stuff. So you can just kind of go with it. Sure. But ultimately they're, they're just, you have to see it to believe it. Like Bruce Willis is a talking baby, dude. 
<laughs> what more do you need to know? Should have seen him to- as a talking dog in the Rugrats uh, Wild Thornberries crossover. Well, get ready. Wait, what? No, I'm ser- Okay, so have you ever heard of the Wild Thornberries or the Rugrats? Uh, okay, first of all, how dare you insult me with not knowing Rugrats? I was raised on that. Okay. Uh, Wild Thornberries was just after my time. Like, that's why I didn't watch Lilo and Stitch. Like, right by the late 90s, I was out of cartoons. So you know Spike? Yeah. Bruce Willis voices Spike. What? In a theatrically released movie that they released that crosses the two over. I do know they did that, but I didn't know he was Spike. He's Spike! Holy crap. Well, huh. Because um, Eliza Thornberry can speak to animals and is the only one who can do it. The only thing is she can't tell anybody else. Otherwise, she can't talk to animals anymore. Um, I I watched a couple of wild Thornberries. I did know it, but like I wasn't... It just... Maybe if I go back to it now, I might like it. But that was my when I was done. I think my last, the last Nicktoon I watched genuinely was, I think maybe Hey Arnold, but it could have been Cat Dog. I think it was Hey. Arnold. Um. So yeah. Um. So that happened. <laughs> that was a thing that happened. Um. Oh, um. Yeah. You're gonna. Ooh. Bruce. Wilson, he sings in the movie too. Oh God. Bruce Willis loved to sing. He doesn't um, sing in this movie, but he is a talking baby. And uh, the second movie, you get Roseanne as a talking baby. In the third movie, you get Danny DeVito and I believe Annette Benning. No, no, um, Diane Keaton. It's Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. Dude, I don't know where we're going to get with this wheel. Okay, here we go. I think you're going to like those movies. They're going to be right. fun. As the wheel stands now. Jeez. Terminator. Okay. Yeah. DC Extended Universe. So oh, right Lord. now, it would be Man of Steel to Birds of Prey. Right? I got a shiver down my spine, man. I don't know why. Alien, which was Zach's first pick. <laughs> Those would be fun. I've been talking about them lately with... Um, with people who are watching them, like it kind of would be interesting to watch them. Um, the Tolkien universe, which would be the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogies. Yep. Man, I'm going to fall asleep to those first three movies. Um, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Please, Lord, please. Okay. Uh, I shouldn't ask for any of these movies because they're not going to land on them. Uh, that's how the wheel works. It's the wheel of sentient, everybody. Uh, all um, you new listeners out there. Pirates would be a lot. That'd be a lot of pirates. Um, Fast and Furious. Oh, God, please. You said it. Uh, Burton's Batman. <laughs> Fun movies. Be, show, be timely with Showmaker's death. The Marine. Who knows what we get with that? That is, a, that is <laughs> right. A that is an up there pair of whatever. It'll determine whether or not we want to da- dance with those kind of movies again. Those are the wildest of wild cards of this wheel. It's the wildest wild card. They're probably not going to be good, but um, no. do you think we're going to find bits and pieces out of each one? And I'm going to be entertained, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it'll determine how much I want to dive into direct DVD kind of series. Right. Um, 
Rocky. Yeah, Rocky. Raimi's... Including Creed, Chris. Yes, including Creed. The two Creed movies. The second of which I have not seen. It's a good one. Raimi's Spider-Man. Kind of, that would be great. That would be great. Um, the Wizarding, the Wizarding World. Uh, Those first two, you're gonna, you're gonna have to sit down and watch them. Uh, you know, I like the first one. I like Fantastic as, Beasts. As long as you guys Second are cool with doing them first, as long as you guys are cool with doing them chronologically, then I'm yes. fine. I don't want to end on them. Thank you for doing that for the Hobbits. <laughs> Thank you for doing that for the Hobbits, but I don't want to end on those two movies. Like, I I want I want to end on a good note with Harry Potter. Um, Evil Dead. That would be crazy, man. I think you'd love them. I think you'd love those movies. I think you'd like them. Um, Back to the Future, which, if I remember correctly, are in theaters right now. I probably to, I can look. Bonafide classic. Um, Cornetto trilogy. That would be great. Three, three different, entirely different movies. All of them as, I would say, dense as um, a Citizen Kane type thing. Where, or I would say Night of the Hunter. Like, everything, every single one of them is just filled to the brim with stuff. Kung Fu Panda. I want to do that before we get to Train Your Dragon. Here's the thing. Here's what I will do. Wheel, I am going to propose to you an idea. If we land on Kung Fu Panda, mm-hmm. on the episode where we do Kung Fu Panda 3, I will do my fan fiction. I will read it. I will do a synopsis of it. We will oh go God. through it together. If it lands on we Kung Fu Panda, I will do it. At any point that we spin the series wheel, I will do it. Um, that's new So I'm going to tempt fate. Kung Fu Panda. That's new incentive. Because I want to watch 2 again. Any reason to. All right. Gary Alex knows what I'm talking about because I told him everything. I was going to say, like, our episodes are already long enough. Yeah. Um, I'll have to condense it. Crazy, guys. Here's a hint, guys. Bamboo. Bamboo plays hard naturally. If you like fingernail stuff. Oh, God. All right. Um, Daniel Craig's 007. That'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, Mad Max, which was Zach's second pick. That would be fun. I love I love summer hot movies when it's. Hot. And when I say pick, I mean he wanted this to be on the wheel. Yeah, it's already like, on the wheel. Alien and this. Yeah. Um, Lethal Weapon. Wow, I I haven't seen all those in a long time. And the Naked Gun movies. Oh. Okay. Okay. So, Alex, before I spin, I think there's... I just remember this when I was reading when I was um, reading these off. I think there's something you need to plug. Oh. Okay, I'm not yeah, putting this well, as soon as we're done. Because, because you're, you're, I need... I need, like... I want to do this. Get the word out. Um... All right. Well, thank you. I'm on another podcast called The Real Butter Buttercast, um, where we pretend to be in a magical theater where butter makes things real, like popcorn and mops and rags. They all talk with silly voices, and we improvise things and freestyle and stuff. 
Well, we also do interviews. We recently did an interview with a guy who wrote a book on Canon Films. Um, we did two episodes of it. It was a really nice guy. Um, and we're about to do an interview, a uh, recording here, Sue, coming out soon, um, with the director of Jingle All the Way and Snow Dogs and Problem Are House. we there yet? And Flintstones and Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas and Are We There Yet and Max 2 um leave it to beaver the guys had a hand in a lot of 90s childhoods and if you sat at home and watched hbo like i did in 1993 uh through 1997 you watched these movies uh you know these movies so we're gonna have a a couple episodes it's gonna come on and talk about his movies and then he's also gonna come on and talk about a book he's got coming out about um toys and it's gonna be in the fall um so uh holy monkey we're gonna i'm gonna ask that guy about uh rick moranis and john goodman and howie berry and kyle mcgoggin this is just from one film guys one film jingle all the way come on what are we doing here real butter yeah, Buttercast. real butter Buttercast. peter get on my get show out. uh he's into it he's into it all right are you ready alex yeah oh, god yes oh my gosh we I, don't I know what we want it to be, but we can't I, say. Well, I have I have ones that I would like it to be, but there's certainly one that gave me a pit in my stomach, and I'm wondering if that's going to be it. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, spin. Oh, man. Oh, oh my God. So he's so you're super excited. You're super excited. So it could be something I'm, I'm thinking. No, no, no. Oh my god, ladies and gentlemen, the next series of movies we will be reviewing on the Maestro Movie Podcast Mad Max. Wow, we get to talk about Fury Road, dude. We get to lead up to Fury Road, dude. You get to watch Road Warrior, yes. And Beyond Thunderdome. I forgot it was four movies. I've Thanks. never seen Beyond Thunderdome, so that's going to be the new one for me. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Yes. I love summer movies on summer hot days. But, dude, you just, yeah, you just watched Mad Max Fury Road in the theater. I get to talk about what I get to talk about maybe, like, Close second, my personal favorite film. Close second. I, this so is great. How, are you, so you're going to watch it again, I assume. Are you going to try and seek out the blood and chrome one? The black and white version? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting really busy these days. How is that any different than watching it normally? No, it's not that I won't. It's, uh, no, okay. So it's not like I wouldn't do it. It's that I have to go to a movie theater again, which last week I had six days off, and now I have anything but that. Why would you? Uh, why would you have to go to a movie theater again? Just because you want to? Yes. Mm. Um. So. Oh my gosh. Whoo! We get to talk about how Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron got. Got into a small feud. They never fought, but oh man! Oh, it was a feud. It wasn't small. They they didn't go fist to fist, but they were like they did not like each other. 
Well, sometimes you, I produce the best you results. To go into, you get to go into the career of George Miller. You get to figure out how the guy who made Happy Feet made Fury Road. You get to figure out the, how this doctor ended up making a, a small movie that took over the world. Like, you get to watch Mad Max become Mad Max. Like, Road Warrior is a great movie. And, and Zach wins. Zach wins. We're talking about Fury Road at some point. Well, I know you're excited about that, but dude, get excited for the other three. I forgot there were four. Mm-hmm. There's the first Mad Max, then there's Road Warrior, then there's Beyond Thunderdome, right? Then it's Fury Road. Yeah. So here's how... Here's how it's going to go. The first movie is not going to be what you think it is. Okay. It's going to have great moments to it, but it's, it's the apocalypse hasn't happened yet. It's just on the brink. So it's a lot more low budget, but the driving scenes are great. Road Warrior, huge step above. That's like you are in the apocalypse. People are wearing crazy shit. Like It's a step above. It's one of the best 80s action movies around. Thunderdome, I've never seen. And then we all know about Fury Road. So just get prepared for Modern Masterpiece. Not be crazy. Best movie of the last decade, I believe. So I will say, since Alex, you can't see the wheel, mm-hmm. it was almost Lethal Weapon by like less than a millimeter. So it was, the universe was a, uh, had a thing for Mel Gibson tonight. It had a thing for Mel Gibson. And here's the thing. I'm not going go, <laughs> go to go too much into Mel Gibson. Like he's, um, yeah. as an actor, I can deal with him as a direct, if we were doing a movie, he directed to be another story, but he's just, it's way more about George Miller when it comes to the Mad Max movies. I think. Okay. I got those on the wheel. Just making sure the wheels are updated. So we got, yep, look who's talking. He's right there. Mad Max is nowhere to be seen. Okay, we're good to go. Whoo, Mad Max. The Mad Maxes for me seem to be on HBO Max. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about raw. So there you go, everyone. Like, Talk about ambitious. This is going to be interesting. Yes. Yeah. The Matrix. Night of the Hunter. Dune. Citizen Kane. And now Bad Max. Man, where did did this wheel... These wheels are crazy. Hold on. Like... These wheels are crazy. I got to see where... We where we've been before. <laughs> oh, that's right. I still gotta send you that one X Men episode. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, um, that's right. Get incredibly drunk. So, it so oh. like before that, like Mad so, Max. So after we ended Die Hard, Maltese Falcon, Freddy got fingered, Hardcore Henry, Eternal Sunshine, Riccio, Paprika, Indiana Jones. About Time, right. The Holiday Special, Argo, Dread, Cat in the Hat, 
Independence Day, Matrix, and then on and on. Oh my goodness, what a what a ride, twenty twenty. Yeah, dude, this is yeah, this has been crazy. A lot of action movies. There's a yeah. lot of action movies on the wheel, though. Yes, but also a lot of weird ones. Yes. Which I've enjoyed. Riccio. That's great. <laughs> that Riccio was pretty nuts. <laughs> so happy that worked out. <sighs> anyway. There you go, everyone. We're done. Um, mad freaking Max. We get to lead up to Fury Road. And discover maybe one of the best sequels. You're you're hyping this up as one of the best one of the best sequels ever made, with Road Warrior. Um, is Road Warrior one of the best sequels ever made? Yes, absolutely. You just the jump from Mad Max to Road Warrior is crazy. Is are you going to think that Road Warrior is as thrilling? No, I think action has changed since then. But you're you got to remember you we're watching the guy we're watching the guy evolve from this first movie to make fury road you're you're we're watching this happen film for film for film all of them have moments of driving in them and all of them have like insane crashes and and crazy and crazy stunts like road warrior isn't the entire movie of a chase but the last 20 minutes are pretty great trade pretty great chase and then i don't remember how thunderdome works uh i've never seen it but i do remember the driving in the first movie and i do remember road warrior pretty damn well um it's just like it's just a step up in terms of world building. Um, the first movie is more about how he how how does a guy in um, a post-apocalyptic world turn into such a badass person? Well, he probably you know had some horrible things happen to him. Mad Max is about the horrible things that turned him into Mad Max. The second movie, he is Mad Max. He has the car. He has the dog. He's trying to survive. He's trying to help people. The world is crazy. People are wearing crazy stuff. It's much bigger, broader. The action scenes are more expensive. Yeah, it's Road Warrior is a st- unbelievable step up from Mad Max. One of the best sequels of all time, for sure. Mad Max. I did not think it would land on Mad Max. I didn't either, and I'm happy. I'm very happy. Four movies, each of them different. Mad Max. Your heart sank at DCEU, didn't it? Um... I it I it sinks every time, but there was a chill up my spine. I was like, uh, I think I that not- means it's drawing nearer. Like that was an I feel like that's ominous. Oh, it is. I'd like it to match with the um, I'd like it to match it with uh the Justice League that comes out, um, but. I, I don't know. I don't really know when I want that. I just didn't want it now. I didn't want that after Citizen Kane. You did not want to. You did not want to complain any further about Zack Snyder until actually, right after actually, Citizen Kane. There's a woman on. There's a woman on YouTube I follow named Maggie Mae Fish, and she has just started a Zack Snyder series. She's got a couple of videos already up. They're fucking great, and she she it looks like she's going to post a new one in two hours. And I'm actually quite excited for it because she's great. She's incredibly smart. She's great. I'm, I cannot wait for her to just beat him into the ground. I, if we were doing the DC EU now, I would just probably quote her a lot. I'd probably try to not but still steal a bunch of shit from her. Like, See, now, no, here's the thing. With me, 
in the DCU, that I would be the same way, but with Mr. Sunday movies. Because he just went through the first three of Zack Snyder's movies. Did watch. Yeah, yeah. They were more positive. They were more positive, but like, if we were to do DCU, I would stand firm in my belief that I think Batman v Superman is worse than Justice League. Um, there's a de- I, I think there's I, a debate there. I'm on the fence now. It's about what the def the question for me now is what is my definition of worst? Right? Because like, here's the thing: I would do see I, Batman v Superman. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I, no, please go ahead. I would see Batman v Superman in a movie theater before Justice League, but I would see Justice League before Batman v Superman. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, do I think I, uh, yes. I mean, I think the last 20 minutes of Justice League as action and fun helps with Superman being fun make that a little bit more tolerable uh, outside of that it's basically it's fun it's it's more of an experiment like watching justice league for me the more i watch it in the future is going to be who shot what like why is it, who, ben affleck's hairline <laughs> the flash's hairline what who who made what and why is this you know why is this here what's going on? it's more of an experiment as to getting involved in the story and then the last 20 minutes there's action and maybe i'm for that action uh, Batman vs Superman is a complete vision. It does have some beauty to it. It is like from beginning to middle end, it is one thing. But I don't like it. And when I find myself watching it, it's usually more out of a curiosity. And maybe I'm into the images, and maybe I'm into Ben Affleck as Batman. But they're like by the time the action at the last thirty minutes is happening, I don't care. Like, it all looks cool, sure, but I mean, I don't care. Justice League, I don't care about any of those people, but I do care about, like, what happened. I kind of care about, like, why, why, why are things so drastically different? What's with, like, Flash falling on Wonder Woman's tits? Like, what's going on here? That's oh, more- I've heard the story about that. That made me mad, actually. <laughs> like, Batman vs. Superman is everything it's supposed to be, but I hate it. I just think it's it doesn't move like a proper movie should. It, t- it doesn't understand half of its characters. It's like villain doesn't make any sense. But it's all one vision of one person. That is technically better than the mishmash of what you get in Justice League. But Batman vs Superman is technically a better movie. But it's also the one that I would watch less because I find it less interesting. Right. So anyway, there you go, everybody. So we're we're doing Mad Max. We're doing Mad Max. We're doing Mad Max. We don't need to talk about that stuff yet. Right. Obviously. Four um, movies, not three. But yes, Forgot for, about Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, the warning for Mad Max, the first one, is that it's not a crazy action movie. It's the birth of a action superhero. Not superhero, but like a birth of an action hero. You're watching what made him who he is, and then the last 20 minutes you get you get him. Um, so there you are, everyone. Um, new, new adventure, Mad Max. So, uh, first off, we will start with the first Mad Max. And, uh, so we'll see you, we'll see you guys then. Say goodbye, Alex. Uh, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye. Who's the man, Citizen Kane? 
watch the movie, can't complain.